0: five four three two one what's up guys and welcome to another episode of inside you the college sports podcast i'm your host xavier oddick and we are back it is monday november 12th 2018 another huge weekend in college sports a lot of college basketball a lot of college football not really as many interesting upsets there's last weekend as there had been in the weeks preceding but still a very pivotal weekend for college football as many of the divisional races began to clarify themselves, some were actually won. Clemson obviously winning the ACC's Atlantic Division for a fourth year in a row with their victory over Boston College. We'll get all into that this episode, but let's start off like we normally do with I was right and I was wrong. First thing, I was right that Kansas State would defeat Kansas. Final score there, 21-17. to 17. Interesting game in that both Alex Barnes and Alex Delton saw time under center. Barnes 172. 17 yards and two touchdowns delton scoring the goal had touchdown. if you saw one of the big highlights from the game it was kansas tight end marvin saunders attempting to hide a penalty flag against the jayhawks very hilarious If you hadn't seen go check it out but bill snyder's team getting the job done there in their rivalry game and david beaty's team unfortunately unable to give him that last victory so far in the remaining time he has as the jayhawks head coach so then i was wrong that was Wisconsin would defeat Penn State. Final score there, twenty-two to ten. Things look good for the Badgers following Jonathan Taylor's first touchdown of the game. He finished with one hundred and eighty-five yards. Unfortunately, with Alex Hornibrook out again for the Badgers while he remains in concussion protocol. Jack Cohn finished with two interceptions and five sacks. Not a great start. Unfortunate start for Jack Cohn having to do his first start on the road against a very good and underrated Penn State team. But that's just how it goes. The Badgers continue to slip from what people thought would be a very interesting year. It'll be interesting to see where the Badgers go from here. Remember that both Taylor and Hornybrook could come back next year. Whether that happens, though, remains to be seen then. I was right that Ohio State would defeat Michigan State. Final score there, 26-6. Very much a game of field position. Drew Chrisman, the Buckeyes punter, had punts that landed in the 5-6-3-1-2 yard line in the second half. He did such a great job that he was actually interviewed after the game. Rarely do you see a punter be interviewed. That just shows you how good of a job he did. Urban Meyer's team continuing to set up what should be a huge game against Michigan, which will decide the Big Ten East end the season. Then I was wrong that South Carolina would defeat Florida. Definitely thought that the Gamecocks would pull off the upset here. Started out 14-0, but Florida clawed their way back, winning 35-31. This game was made all the more interesting by Luke Del Rio's comments regarding Felipe Franks on Twitter. On Friday, the day before the game, Franks, who actually played at Florida last year and was in the same quarterback room as Franks, said that if head coach Dan Mullen were to start Franks, he had the risk—he was at risk of losing the Gators' fan base. To me, it was a bit of a childish remark, considering the fact that these guys were just teammates. What made it even more ridiculous to me was that news of Kyle Trask Franks's backup breaking his foot and literally leaving the team with Franks as his only option. Even with the that adversity and some of the other adversity that Franks had to deal with this week, they were able to not only come back from down 14-0, but also down 17 points in the third and pull off to victory in what was a huge game for Florida fans as Dan Mullen was able to defeat former Florida head coach Will Muschamp. So, kudos to the Gators. Then, I was right that Arizona State would defeat UCLA. Final score there, 31-28. Very much a game focused on Eno Benjamin, the stellar Sun Devils running back. He finished with 34 Touches for 182 yards and a touchdown, and Kill Harry continues to do a great job solidifying himself as arguably the best wide receiver in college football. Seven receptions for 100 yards. This was a game though, that really centered on starting quarterback Manny Wilkins. This was his last game as a Sun Devil. For a guy that's faced a lot of adversity, had not an easy time in Tempe. It was a great way to go out with a win. The Sun Devils still very much in the hunt for the Pac-12 South, although with Utah pulling off their own victory over Oregon, even without starting quarterback. Tyler Huntley, and starting running back Zach Moss. The Utes are still in first place in the South. So then I was wrong that Oregon would defeat Utah. Final score there, 32-25. to 25. Shelley in relief, two touchdowns. Armand Shine, 174 yards rushing. Utah still in control of their destiny in the Pac-12 South there. Matt Gay, the Utes kicker, got tons of opportunities. Six field goals on the game and not allowed the Utes to remain in control of their destiny in the Pac-12 South race. Then, I was right that Pitt would defeat Virginia Tech. Final score there, 52-22, to taking a huge step to the ACC Coastal Division Championship the Panthers took in this game. Quadrilles and 235 yards, three touchdowns. Pitt now, Virginia Tech, excuse me, now very much at risk of missing out on their 26th consecutive Bowl streak. They're 4-5 and and need to win two of their last games to make themselves bowl eligible. Very difficult thing to do for this Virginia Tech team, which has been played all year long by the injuries that have cost Bud Foster's defense. The real story of this game, Pitt averaged an insane 13.9 yards per play. Wow. And Pitt continues to look like they're going to be the team that will come out of that Atlantic ACC. Uh ACC Coastal Division. So, then, I was wrong that Cincinnati would lose to South Florida's final score there, 35-23. to This game, very important, because not only did Blake Barnett, South Florida's starting quarterback, sit out, but Michael Warren finished with four touchdowns in his absence, and it set up the game day treatment, which Cincinnati and Central Florida will get this weekend. When Cincinnati travels to UCF, which would be a huge group of five game. Central Florida, if you recall, very much at odds with college game day. Not feeling like they're getting the treatment or the respect they deserve for their impressive 23-game winning streak. Going to get a full opportunity to showcase what they can do as they look to hopefully crack into the college football playoff top four. Although I don't see that happening. Then, I was right that Clemson would defeat Boston College. Final score there, 27-7. This game was plagued by injuries in that Eagles starting quarterback Anthony Brown went down on his first series. He would not return to the game, being ruled out with an internal injury of some kind. Clemson clinching the ACC Atlantic Division Championship for the fourth straight year. Michael Walker really the only bright spot for the Eagles offense following the loss of Anthony Brown. He had one punt return for a touchdown and a second one that would have been a touchdown had it not been called back for an unfortunate block in the back penalty. Very much a sad game for the Eagles who were benefiting from their own game day treatment Clemson though just continue to be tr- too overmatched between their defense and Trevor Lawrence's continued to develop the Tigers look like they're going to run through the rest of the ACC schedule untested so then I was wrong that Troy would lose to Georgia Southern the final score there 35 to 21 Troy now 6 and0 in Sunbit play following the Trojans scoring 32 unanswered points to seal the victory here and Neil Brown with all of the coaching vacancies that are already out there very much in the running for a potential power five job more on that in a few minutes then i was wrong that akron would excuse me that eastern michigan would not cover against Akron. well they did win the game 27 to 7 the line was only 13. they were assisted by akron's three touchdown three interceptions and with that they failed to cover. Then I was right that Texas would defeat Texas Tech. Final score there, 41-34. to 34. Texas, though, blowing a 17-point lead in the fourth quarter. Sam Ellinger, though, four touchdowns and assisted by their defense stopping Jet Duffy on a crucial fourth and one. Ellinger's last touchdown pass of the day occurring to the Jordan Humphrey, in which was reminiscent to many Texas Tech fans of the catch that Michael Crabtree had from Graham Harrell to defeat the at-the-time number one, Longhorns. Then I was right that Boise would upset Fresno State. Final score there, 24 to 17. Rypean, 269 yards passing. Another touchdown to one interception. The real story, though, the 49 yard strike they had to clear Shakir, which really put this game in the back for the Broncos. And with that victory now, Boise State very much has an opportunity to come out of that Mountain West, Mountain Division, even though they do still trail Utah State. And then I was right that Temple would defeat Houston final score there, 59 to 49. Ed Oliver out again. That's the third straight game. In his absence, Raquel Armstead ran wild, 210 yards and six touchdowns. Yes, you read that right. So eight and six last weekend. Very much an interesting weekend in that while there wasn't as many high-profile matchups as we're going to get with now we're entering that rivalry portion of college football season. Certainly some very pivotal games, and that they continue to set up and solidify who will be playing in their conference's championship games in the next few weeks. And they give us some good comparison opportunities to look at as the committee now looks to boil it down to those four top teams. So that moves us along to the biggest stories in college sports right now. The biggest one, no real surprise, Bobby Petrino is out as the University of Louisville's head coach. This comes following the 2-8 and season that the Cardinals are currently undergoing. Seven straight losses to that. And this was very much rumored to be in the making for a long time, although up until recently, Petrino's rumored $14 million buyout was what kept him as the head man there. However, following a very unfortunate loss to Syracuse this last weekend, new Louisville Athletic Director Vince Tyra decided to make a change. Also, they decided to let go of Nick Petrino, Bobby's son, and quarterback's coach, as well as his son-in-laws, LD Scott and Ryan Beard. This is very much an appetizer for what could occur at Kansas State if Bill Snyder is either forced to resign or resigns on his own in the next few weeks. And that while they were winning and when they were assisting the program, a lot of these hirings that are kind of questionable are overlooked, but when it comes time and losing and they need to make a change, it just makes the separation even more difficult. That leaves interim head coach Lorenzo Ward very much short staffed as they look to prepare and finish out their last two games. And also, it'll be interesting to see what happens there now. It's no secret that this this Louisville job, very much the people in Louisville that are decision-makers are going to target Purdue head coach Jeff Brom. But Brom initially has kind of cooled some of those flames, saying he's not really interested in it right now. Now, what I want to note there is that Brom's team is currently 5-5. Five and five. They've got games against Wisconsin and Indiana left, and they just need to win one of them to be bowl eligible. That would make the Boilermakers bowl eligible for a second year in a row, which would be huge for that program, on top of that already big upset over Ohio State. Certainly, though, after that, very much a possibility that Braun were at least to investigate the job, but it doesn't really surprise me that he is looking to kind of fan the flames a little bit, given that. Vince Tyra is going to very much have to make uh, appearances to him that the university of Louisville, which has undergone such change with the loss of former athletic director, Tom jerk head basketball coach, Rick Pitino. And now head football coach, Bobby Petrino is finally stable again and very much in the right track. That's going to be hard to do. Maybe he decides that he just likes where he's at at Purdue, probably going to get another race this off season, assuming they are bowl eligible again. And he can put himself in a position to be the maker's head coach for a very long time, even with his ties to the school. But he'll be the guy that is rumored to be receiving that job, at least for the foreseeable future. Lundra Reward, meanwhile, interesting to see what happens with his time as the interim head coach. Looking at their schedule, even if they were to win these last two games, which is unlikely. One of them being to a Kentucky team, which is up until this last week in number 11 in the country. They're still not going to be bull eligible. Hard sell for him to take that job, especially with the possibility of Jeff Brom being the hiring. But two other names, which I think could be connected to this job, would be Luke Fickle, the Cincinnati head coach. He's four and eight to nine and one. This is a guy that both played and coached at Ohio State, which is not too far from Louisville. Very much a Midwestern guy. And then the other one which I think would be a bit of a surprising hire is Neil Brown. This is a guy who's from Kentucky and played at Kentucky. Very much has ties to the region and with the success he's had at Troy could be working himself into a big promotion. So that moves us along to Bedlam, the regular game between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Very much an interesting game, back and forth shootout, like I expected. Final score there, 48 to 47 really came down to Mike Gundy, Oklahoma State's head coach decision to go for two. Bit of a curious question, but I actually do agree with it. Unfortunately, they did not convert and that resulted in losing by one point. Now, what you need to understand about this game is that for most of the game, Oklahoma State was without star running back Justice Hill. After the game, Gundy said that the loss of Hill resulted in having to throw out about 15 to 20% of their playbook. Furthermore, they had missed an earlier extra point. So now, you have to wonder if you even run the kicker out whether he would make it, and they're on the road looking to to upset one of the best teams in the country in Oklahoma. I do agree with the two-point conversion. Remember, last week, West Virginia head coach Dana Holgerson tried the same thing and they were able to upset Texas on the road. When you're on the road like that, your team's trying to be an upset and you know you're up against it. It does make sense for me to end this game rather than going to overtime where the questions about your kicker still very much linger and you know you're not going to be able to stop that Oklahoma Sooners offense. I mean, you've already given them 48 points for the day. So I agree with the decision and I have no problem with it, even if it meant they ended up losing by one point. So then That leads us to Tua Tagovailoa, Alabama's starting quarterback. Tua, unfortunately, continues to be plagued by that right knee injury. He suffered a couple of games ago, re-injuring it against Mississippi State, sat on the fourth quarter, although again, after the game, Alabama head coach Nick Saban made amends and attempted to try and say that he was fine and that he could have gone back in. Certainly, though, he's now banged up, and looking at the rest of their schedule... This weekend, they've got a less-than-impressive Citadel team. Then they've got Auburn and the Iron Bowl, and the SEC Championship game, and hopefully the playoff. Some people had wondered whether it would be in the Crimson Tide's best interest for to to sit this game. Nick Saban, though, shooting those down, basically saying that he can use it as an opportunity to work on things and to get better. I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that Jalen Hurts is also still hurt coming back from that ankle surgery. With Mac Jones as their quarterback, maybe Saban feels like Citadel could really pull off what be an astonishing upset of this Alabama team. Also, if he's looking at it, he knows he can probably only run two out there for a couple of the initial possessions, build up that big lead, and then pull him early on. So why not do it? It's low risk, high reward type of situation. But I will say it was interesting to me that he didn't even at least consider the possibility of doing it. You know, all year long, we've heard about the benefits of having Jalen Hurts as your backup. I know he set out the last two games, but if he were ready to go, why not utilize him? Put the mileage on him, knowing that you have then got the Iron Bowl and the SEC Championship against Georgia coming up. Both those teams' defensive lines are not something you want to mess with. In these games where Tua has struggled with his knee, he really hasn't taken a head-on hit, if he were to take one, I am concerned about what impact that might have on his knee, but... It looks like at least for now, Tua is going to play. We'll continue to monitor that throughout the week. And then if you're a USC fan, obviously you're disappointed following the Trojans' unfortunate loss to Cal this last weekend. First time the Bears had defeated the Trojans since 2003. Ouch. 15-14, to the final score there. What makes it even worse was that this was a loss at home in the Coliseum. And now with both UCLA and Notre Dame looming, USC very much in a situation where they could possibly finish bowl ineligible, which would just be terrible for a Trojans USC program that prides itself on its football team. Unfortunately, though, I know a lot of people are clamoring for Helton to be fired. I don't see it happening. And the real reason is that contract extension he received before the year. Going in, I was not a fan of the extension. I know that a lot of it had to do with the recruiting class that you put together, but the reality is that when you're USC's head coach, you should be able to put together a top recruiting class just about every year. So then we have to just measure it on on-field play. Last year certainly did not meet expectations. I think last year the expectations were a little bit overblown going into the season. We had lost stellar playmakers like a Dory Jackson that really did a lot for the team. And basically we were forced to say, Darnold, figure out on your own. The offensive line still hasn't been great. That's one of the reasons why they finally did move on from Neil Callaway. And looking at this year, certainly a very down year for the Trojans. You have to question whether freshman JT Daniels really is the long-term solution for the Trojans. He has certainly struggled. Whether that's all his fault is unclear, but definitely going to be a lot of people clamoring for Helton to be fired. But unfortunately, I just don't think they do that with that $20 million buyout looming. Also looking around the available head coaches, many of the same names will pop up for that USC program if they did make a move. Jeff Brom being one of them. I actually liked that decision if they were to get Brom because he is known as being a bit of a quarterback whisperer. I think he could do a lot with determining whether Daniels is or is not the Trojans guy long-term. Also given that he's a big 10 guy, he'll hopefully finally shore up the offensive and defensive line struggles that have plagued the Trojans for, in my opinion, the last few years. But that's going to be a hard sell. Again, maybe Braun just decides that he likes being in West Lafayette. He knows he could be there for a long time. Dino Baber, same thing. I think regardless of how the season plays out for the Orange, he'll be in line for another big extension. Probably going to look to keep him as their head coach for the foreseeable future. And so now you're in a bit of a weird situation where you go, who do you replace? I know some people say, well, what about Lex Miles? I just don't see that happening. Uh wow. And we're now in a situation where the Trojans continue to look to try and figure out what to do for the long term but I do see barring then losing to both UCLA and Notre Dame not being bowl eligible and then some type of weird off-field scandal health and back in 2019. So that moves us along to Duke basketball. Duke now number 1 in the top AP top 25. That comes following their blowout of number 4 Kentucky. Not surprised that they're number 1, but I do want to say that those who think that they should just be given the championship should certainly slow down. They struggled on Sunday to defeat an overmatched army team. Army very much had their opportunities to pull off the upset. They missed a lot of layups. The play of the game for me was when army had a wide open dunk and the guy missed it. Had they made that dunk very much could have been a changing of the tide. Also army very much showed a blueprint for how to beat this Duke team played the passing lanes very well forced some turnovers helped when they needed to, and really they got the benefit of Duke being cold for a majority of that first half. Unfortunately, once the Blue Devils did turn the turn the heat on, they did put the Black Knights in the rearview mirror, but against a better team, like, again, I keep saying a Kansas or a Michigan State or a Michigan or a Villanova that plays that smart defensive style, forces the half court game, makes Duke defend. I really do think they will be vulnerable and looking in their conference, obviously the big one being UVA. So, interesting to see how this season pans out for the Blue Devils. And then that moves us along to the Pac-12 basketball. Right now, they only have two teams currently in the top 25, Oregon and UCLA. Oregon very much going to be a presence this year, given freshman Bull Bull, son of former NBA player Manute Bol, but certainly an interesting time for the conference. I had the pleasure of watching Arizona State play McNeese State this last weekend. Certainly was less than impressed with the team that at one point last year was ranked third in the nation. Xylon Cheatham, 6'8, 220. He finished with 16 points. Lou Dort poured on another 25. Very much this was a game where McNeese State had their chances. They actually impressed me with their athleticism. While they lacked the height and really the strength to compete with the Sun Devils, they could certainly rebound with them and we're very much into the game, into the latter part of the second half. Arizona State very much cold for long portions of the game. And what really allowed them to separate themselves in that game was really pounding it into the middle, posting their guards against these smaller McNeese State guards, which they won't be able to do against some of the better teams. So if you're looking for a third team to come out of the Pac-12 and compete with Oregon or UCLA, I don't see the Sun Devils being that team. UCLA very much in a transitional year. I think they finally look to move on from Steve Alford. He's a guy who I don't think people wanted him to get the job in the first place. He was kind of a by proxy guy, really never had the success at New Mexico state that people were looking for. I think this is the year where he's either going to have to take this team to at least the sweet 16, or they look to finally move on Washington. I think people were hot on, but they got blown out by Auburn over the last weekend. USC lost to Vandy and then tonight Stanford lost to UNC 90 to 72. So For a conference that's already struggling to stay relevant in football, Washington State really the only program right now on the national radar. If basketball is still unimpressive, what they've really been known for and kind of built that conference on will not be another good year for the conference. So that moves us along to some previewing some of this week's top basketball games. Given that we're now kind of at the uh, middle part of the beginning of the season, we've entered some of the tournaments that teams will play early on. Tuesday night, we've got a great match Wisconsin traveling to Xavier. Wisconsin favored by a point and a half there. They're coming off a victory over Copen State, 85-63, the final score. Xavier, 2-0, beating IUPUI, and Evansville, 91-85. to And this is a very interesting game for me in that in Greg Gard, the Wisconsin head coach, you've got a guy who's really looking to separate himself from forward head coach, Bo Ryan. They're coming off a year last year in which they finished 16-15. and Not the success that this Wisconsin team is looking for, although they will benefit from the return of guard Ethan Happ, who after testing the NBA waters decided to come back. Xavier, on the other hand, they've got a new head coach in Travis Steele. Early reports suggest that the t- players are excited to play for him. This team will look different with the loss of stalwarts like PJ McCura and Trevon Blewett and certainly going to have some new high scorers this year. But when I look at this team and Travis Steele, here's a guy who really made a name for himself for his defensive efforts. I think Xavier in the center at home really comes out strong defensively, takes it to the Badgers and comes up with the upset here. So I've got the Musketeers pulling off the upset. Then Memphis traveling to LSU, LSU favored by 11. Will Wade, LSU's head coach, certainly entered the season with a lot of hype. Unfortunately, the, the sentiments on the Tigers have faded a little bit with him being named many times in connection with the pay for play scandal that is still working its way through the court system. Memphis on the other hand, entering the season with a lot of hype, having hired former standout player Penny Hardaway as their new head coach. They're coming off a 76 61 victory over Tennessee tech and Memphis and Penny Hardaway are really looking to have a good enough year to entice Weissman, the standout basketball player to stay in state rather than go to Kentucky. Certainly, I think they picked up a little bit following the Wildcats' season-opening loss to Duke, but still going to be a hard sell there. Definitely an uphill battle. LSU coming off a victory over UNC Greensboro, 97-91. And I think the Tigers get the job done here in a game that could have either no effect or a little effect or a lot of effect on Weisman's future decision. But it'll be interesting to see how the Tigers fared this year certainly going to be a year of transition but i do think that penny hardaway's time as a former middle school and high school and aau guy will allow him to turn that program around sooner rather than later so moving on to wednesday michigan traveling to villanova no line yet on that game but this is a rematch of last year's national championship game certainly going to be interesting in that john baleen enters the season having been given the overture by the detroit pistons he though turned that job down decided to remain in ann arbor Villanova going to look a little bit different offensively, but with the return of Eric Pashaw and Phil, both the inside-out game that really allowed them to really test, stress, and bend that zone to their will. Last game, I think that's what gives Nova the edge here, and they pull off the victory. And then in a little bit under the radar matchup, we have Marquette traveling to Indiana. Miller's team coming off a 16 and 15 record in 2017 2018 very much going to be an opportunity for freshman romeo langford to show off what he can do and i think the hoosiers pull off the upset here in what will be a fun and back and forth game that moves us along to thursday where we've got a matchup of the old big east syracuse taking on uconn in madison square garden uconn new head coach dan hurley looking to follow in the success of both his father and his brother asu head coach bobby hurley but I think that team is still a year away from really competing with the better teams in college basketball. Remember they're coming off a 14, 18 season under former head coach, Kevin Ollie. I think the orange men take it to them and get the job done here as battle and Brissett show what they can really do. And then finally for college basketball, Oregon traveling to Iowa, Oregon without stellar freshman, Lewis King. He's really the compliment to bull bull this year. Dana Altman's team, though, this is their first trip to the road. Going to be a very interesting game for Bull Bull to see the freshman, what he can do, not in Eugene. I think the Hawkeyes pull off a tough victory upset of the Ducks. And this is really going to be a game about Dana Altman's team growing and learning how to play on the road. So that moves us along to college football. Not as many interesting games this weekend as there was last weekend. Certainly, this is kind of the appetizer for next weekend when the Iron Bowl and the Egg Bowl and some of the real fun matchups in college football, where many times you have one team playing for pride and the other team playing for a shot in the playoff, but still going to be very interesting. Kicking it off, Syracuse taking on Notre Dame in Yankee Stadium. Notre Dame favored by nine. They're coming off a victory over FSU. But the real story is the return of starting quarterback Ian Book from an upper body injury that kept him out of the game against the Seminoles. Syracuse coming off a 54-23 victory over Louisville. Also, this is kind of a comparison game for the committee, given that Syracuse also really took it too and had the Clemson Tigers on their heels. If Notre Dame were to really pull off with a stellar upset victory over the t- over the Orange, that would really make it difficult for the committee to leave them out in the event that both Syracuse and Clemson finished undefeated. And let's say Georgia beats Alabama narrowly in the title game, but the committee still feels like two SEC teams should come in. So really this game to me doesn't come down to Ian Book but Dexter Lawrence. Since he's returned, the fighting Irish's offense has looked really good. Everyone knows about that defense, but with him and the running game, he's really opened things up for the offense. And I think that he runs roughshod over the orange so the fighting irish pulled that one off then and i think a game that's not receiving the attention it should west virginia traveling to stillwater to take on oklahoma state west virginia favored by 5 there and even with them coming off the victory over tcu 47 to 10 it is hard to forget the loss that they had earlier in the season to iowa state oklahoma state obviously coming off a tough loss to rival ou 48 to 47 i think the mountaineers get the job done here but what they don't want to do is get caught looking a week ahead to when they take on fellow Oklahoma school, Oklahoma, in which very well could decide who ends up winning, finishing as the top seed in the big 12 and could very well serve as an appetizer for the big 12 championship game, barring anything chaotic. So I think the mountaineers get the job done here, but this is certainly a game where if you're Mike Gundy, you may, you probably throw caution to the wind knowing that this season is going to be that building for the future. And hey, why not try and ruin the Mountaineer season while you're at it? Then Miami take, traveling to Virginia Tech. Miami favored by three and a half there. They're coming off a loss to Georgia Tech, 27-21, the final score. Virginia Tech obviously got blown out by pit 52-22. to A lot of people are saying that maybe it's time for Bud Foster to go as the Hokies defensive coordinator. Regardless, though, Miami's defense really isn't much better, and I think their offense is a step below the Virginia Tech this year even with the loss of starting quarterback Josh Jackson. And I've got the Hokies pulling off the upset here. Then Mizzou traveling to Tennessee. Mizzou favored by six. Tennessee coming off an upset of Kansas 24-7. to 7. Mizzou beating Vandy 33-28. to 28. And Tennessee very much has an opportunity to finish bowl eligible in Jeremy Pruitt's first year, which would be huge if they can win this game and then in a week at Vandy. Looking at this Tennessee team, well, they've certainly had their ups and downs. They have gotten better each week. They got a huge confidence boost upsetting Kentucky last week. And I think the Vols get the job done here and take a huge step for possibly finishing bowl eligible in Jeremy Pruitt's first year. So I've got them pulling off the upset. Then in a huge rivalry game for any LA natives, USC traveling to UCLA. USC favored by two and a half. Certainly a down year for the Trojans. They're coming off that 15 to 14 loss to Cal that I mentioned earlier in which they look listless for most of the game. UCLA coming off a loss of their own to Arizona State, 31 to 28, but they really did have their moments and win the game for much of it. The t- offense does look a little better with the return of starting quarterback Wilton Spates. And as much as this pains to do for me to do this as a USC alum, I'm picking the Bruins. What separates this game for me is the fact that Chip Kelly's team has continued to fight for him and improve every single week. Yes, they are young. They are prone to making penalties and dumb mistakes, and at least once a game. They have a turnover that makes you want to pull your hair out. But U.S., again, on the other hand, has very much gone into coasting mode. It's going to be hard for this team to ignore the rumors about their head coach, even as much as they'll try and say that it doesn't bother them. And with this probably being the first game in the rules that is sold out all year for the Bruins, I think the team comes out and gets the job done. Then, Iowa State traveling to Texas. Texas, they're favored by three. They're coming off a victory over Baylor, 28-14. to 14. Remember, Texas struggled to put away Baylor. Iowa State did not. Texas, though, beating Texas Tech 41-34. to 34. Really, this game to me comes down to Texas' defense, which while the offense has been good enough to keep the attention from on them, really hasn't been much worse than Oklahoma's this year. Brock Purdy has certainly enlivened the Cyclones offense. I think Matt Campbell gets the job then on the road, pulling off the upset and putting Texas chances of making to the Big 12 championship game almost at zero. Then Arizona State traveling to Oregon. Oregon favored by four. Arizona State coming off that 31-28 victory over UCLA. Very much a game that kind of was the coming out party for Eno Benjamin. All year long, he's very much been second fiddle to and kill Harry, but this was a game where he really did shine. Oregon coming off a loss to Utah, 32-25. to 25. This very well could be Oregon starting quarterback Justin Herbert's last home game in Eugene. He's going to have a decision to make at the end of the year, whether he wants to go to the NFL or return to college. Looking at this Ducks team, it's hard for me to come up with a reason why to come back. Herbert also has had two major injuries in his college career. It seems like it's time for him to move on to playing on Sundays and getting paid for his efforts. So very much could be the last game for him in a Ducks uniform. Arizona State, though, still very much in play in the Pac-12 South, even with the struggles and ups and downs they've had this year. They've continued to fight. Manny Wilkins showing some emotion following his last game in Sun Devil Stadium this last weekend. I think they go on the road here, pull off a huge victory, and set themselves up for a possibility at winning the Pac-12 South and what will be Wilkins last year in Tempe. And then finally, excuse me, not finally, two more games. UVA traveling to Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech favored by six. UVA coming off a victory over Liberty 45-24. to Georgia Tech beating Miami 27-21. This game is interesting to me in that both teams are very much a ball control style team, just trying to do enough to really give yourself a shot at winning the game, not really focused on... Going too far outside of your comfort zone. I like the UVA to pull off the upset here. I think Bryce Perkins out duels to Quan Marshall, in which will be a game very much about who scores last. And then Michigan State traveling to Nebraska. Michigan State for by a point and a half. They're coming off a loss to Ohio State. A tough, tough loss for the Spartans. Very much a game. Where the offense just never got going. They even went so far as to take a safety just in hope of flipping the field on the Buckeyes. Nebraska, though, coming off a victory over Illinois, 55 to 54 to 35. I think Scott Frost, even with his team now out of bowl eligibility, pulls off one big victory over the year. Looking at their schedule, they get Iowa at Iowa in a week. This is their last home game of the season. And I think they leave those within Lincoln on a high note, pulling off the upset over the Spartans. So that's it for me today, guys. I will be back on Wednesday for Group of Five Wednesday. It'll be another huge episode of Inside You, a lot to discuss. We'll preview all the top Group of Five matchups. I'll give you my updated Heisman Trophy standings, and we'll continue to look at some of the interesting storylines in college sports, as well as preview some of these top basketball games for the weekend now that we are in this tournament mode. So that's for me today, guys. This is Inside You, the College Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Xavier Roddick, and we are signing out.